Hey, good morning, LifePoint. Would you bow in prayer with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time that we have together uh, in your word. Um, And we ask that today you would attend us wherever we are, wherever it is that we're viewing this message or listening to this message. You would attend us with your presence, that your spirit would be our teacher, that you would open the eyes of our hearts uh, and of our minds, that, uh, Lord, we would come to understand everything it is that you intend for us to uh, receive during this hour. We pray today for our country as we are in uh, quite unusual times, and we ask, Lord, for your grace and your mercy to be poured out on us, restore us, unite us, reconcile us, and uh, Lord, would we, may we be um, a nation and a people that uh, bring honor and glory to you, not because we're perfect uh, and not because we don't have problems, but because we are able by your spirit to work things out for to better ends. Lord, we pray now that you would join us as we look into your word, and we pray it in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well, we have come now, at last, to the final message in this series that we titled, Simple Virtues for Complex Times. It has felt to me, as perhaps it has to you, that the complexity of the times in which we are now living has increased exponentially over these past few months. With the COVID-19 pandemic, with the murders of George Floyd and others, and the massive proliferation of protests and riots that have ensued, the ugly head of racism has been raised again in our national consciousness and indeed to that of the entire Western world. We may ask in this environment of societal upheaval whether it makes any meaningful difference at all that that we've spent these past nine weeks studying what the Apostle Paul called the fruit of the Spirit. Will we simply move on now to the next sermon series and say of this series, well, wasn't that interesting? Wasn't it great that Jim and Matt alienated, not alienated, alternated in the presentation of the messages? How humorous, how or inspiring or educational or intellectually satisfying each message really was. Well, I really hope that we will not do that. Because in the final analysis, none of that will do. The Apostle Paul said that all Scripture, referring to biblical Scripture, is inspired by God, that that it was produced through the writers as the breath of God spoke into them and through them. So that because of its nature and because of its origin... It is supremely instrumental in the life of every Christian disciple to teach us what is true, to confront us, 
with what is wrong in our lives, to correct our understanding or our conduct, and to train us to do what is right, to live rightly. You know, one of the things that's struck me with greater force than ever during these past few weeks is that neither the leadership of the Black Lives Matter movement nor the usual cast of characters who seem to find a way to get in front of the camera and the microphone to pontificate whenever racial issues come to a head in our country. Nor the media, nor the Democrats, nor Republicans, nor the Libertarians are speaking to the real source of racism and societal alienation or to the real solution. Every solution that is offered seems to come in the form of more violence or an anarchy rooted in an inadequately conceived notion of justice or in political, social, or legal solutions that treat the symptoms but never adequately address the real disease. And that is to say that the heart of the problem when it comes to racism and other social problems that plague our world, our nation, our cities, our communities, our neighborhoods, our homes, is a problem of the heart. The unredeemed human heart, alienated from God and others, by sin is a hotbed of all kinds of depravity. No wonder that before he could introduce the virtues that the Spirit of God produces in the heart and life of one who has trusted in Christ, the Apostle Paul felt compelled by contrast to describe the character and the conduct of the unredeemed human heart. And if you'll indulge me to read this one more time, Here's his description. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Scan that list. I wonder if you see parts of your own story reflected there. I do, with only a couple of exceptions. But as we saw last week, the phrase, and things like these, indicate that Paul never intended this to be a complete list. As we reflect on our personal lives and the the lives of our families and friends, as we survey our world today, all of this and more should sound quite familiar. Why? Because left to ourselves and our own devices, apart from the cleansing and of the blood of Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, that's what we're like, isn't it? In fact, if we're really honest, what you and I will have to acknowledge is that we see not only parts of our past on that list, but painfully, large parts of our present as well. And that's why what follows is such incredibly good news. The story of your future is no longer held captive by the script of your past or your present. 
Because of the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence within you, God is writing whole new chapters of your whole new story. One of the most familiar verses in the Bible, a verse that God's people are especially prone to turn to in times of pain and hardship and difficulty, is Romans 8.28, where Paul said, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We find comfort in that verse, and we should. It, It tells us that the God we love and who has called us into relationship with himself is sovereign over all of history and is weaving even the events of our own lives together for our good. And yet what we can forget or what we may never have understood because we've either not been taught or because we've been taught something else is what that good really is. It's not the prosperity gospel, (laughs) the message that we can live our best life now or that God has a plan to elevate us socially and prosper us financially. That may be true for some, but verse 29 tells us what that good really is. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, the, the good is wrapped up in the purpose for which he called us, which is, notice, that we will be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ that his character will become ours. And one day, from the perspective of heaven, we will finally realize that that good was the greatest good of all. That good, that process of conforming us to the character of Christ, is also what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the church in Philippi and said, I am sure of this, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now notice, he began the good work. He is carrying on the good work. And he will complete that work. He will bring it to its intended goal when we see Jesus. To reinforce that, the Apostle John gave us this promise in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. That day will be the day that God, by his Spirit, completes his work in us. The process of conforming us to the image of Christ reaches its culmination in perfect Christ-likeness in that transformational moment when we see him face to face. But you might ask, how can I know that I'm growing spiritually? (laughs) How can you have the confidence that he is in fact doing that work in you? 
Matt Sidley and I have each stated along the way in this series that Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit presents us with another portrait of the character of Christ. The character to which the Spirit of God is in the process of conforming us. And because that is true, what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is that the fruit of the Spirit also offers itself as a kind of instrument for assessing your personal spiritual growth, your growth in Christ-likeness. This kind of self-assessment, like all self-assessments, should be done prayerfully. It should be done openly before God, asking Him to speak into your life with the goal of learning where you may need to consciously cooperate with the Holy Spirit more fully as he is doing his work in you. David the psalmist prayed in Psalm 26.2, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and mind. And again in Psalm 139, he prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So what I'd like to do in the remainder of this final message in this series is to lead you through a review of really the essence of each of the nine virtues, that is the nine segments of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And it just suggests some questions that you might ask of yourself by way of assessing your own spiritual progress. Again, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the first virtue, or the first segment of the fruit, is love. Remember, the Greek word is agape. Agape is a love that's supernatural because it comes from God, a love that's covenantal because at its core it's not rooted in emotion but in choice. A love that's unconditional because it doesn't demand to be loved in return. It's a love that's faithful to the end. A woman in our church texted me this week to express her appreciation of last week's message and she shared the following insight. I was greatly encouraged by it. It it represented a very thoughtful engagement with each of the messages in the series. She wrote, As we've gone through this series, I have seen a thread. The first segment of the fruit of the Spirit mentioned is love. Each one after that seems to define more clearly the love of God and how it will show up in our lives. The pivotal point is God's love living in us and being shared. Love cannot be received and held on to. It must be shared. I think she's on to something there, don't you? And it's an entirely valid way of understanding these verses. So with regard to love, ask yourself some questions like these. Is my capacity to consciously and volitionally reach out and include others, even those who may be very different from me, increasing? Am I motivated to do for others as Christ has done for me, or am I giving in order to receive something in return? Jesus said, freely you have received, so freely give. 
Do I choose to persist in love to those who do not return my love or who may even reject it? Do my family members and the people in my church and those with whom I work consider me a loving person? Do they see in me an increasing capacity and pattern of personal concern and self-sacrifice for the sake of others? The second virtue is joy. You may recall that the word here is kara. Kara is one of the words in the family of Greek words at the root of which is grace. Charis, grace. And Christian joy is rooted neither in external circumstances nor internal feelings, but in objective truth. Joy can be understood as the soul's gladness in response to the awareness of God's grace. That even when I'm acutely aware of my own weakness, my own failure, my own sin, even when Satan or my own conscience may accuse me, God nevertheless loves me unconditionally. His son Jesus Christ lived the life I couldn't live and died my death, the death I should have died. He died for me, taking my place. And so that now by faith in him, my sins are forgiven. God will never hold my sin against me. I'm reconciled to God. And I live in freedom from condemnation and in the confidence, the sheer confidence of eternal life. So with regard to joy, you might ask yourself some questions like these. Am I reconciled to God through faith in Christ? Which, of course, is another way of asking, am I a Christian? Am I confident that my sins are forgiven and that I have eternal life? Is my soul glad in its awareness of God's grace and his unconditional love toward me through Christ? Or or do I depend on either external circumstances or internal feelings for my ultimate sense of happiness in life? The third segment of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And the word there is irene. Irene. It it means peace of mind, peace of heart, peace and harmony in relationships. And Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, we obviously don't have time to explore again the dimensions and dynamics of the peace that the Spirit produces in the believer. But if we did, we'd we'd discover that it begins with peace with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I can't know true inner peace unless I know that I'm reconciled to God. Why? Because I was created for that relationship. Apart from that relationship, I I feel like a fish out of water. I can't know true inner peace unless I'm secure in his love. Unless I know that my eternal destiny is assured. Those realizations produce peace in my heart and in my mind and enable the gift of peace with other believers and in relationships with unbelievers as well. So, 
with regard to peace, you might ask yourself questions like these. Am I at peace with God, or is that relationship actually characterized by fear or an absence of trust? Am I at peace with myself? Am I at peace with others in my family and in my world? Do I look to the future and to my eternal destiny with confidence or with dread? The fourth is patience. And the word here is macrothumia. You may recall that it's a, a relational word, and it's it describes the, the spirit-enabled quality of long-suffering. Long-suffering. It means to have a long fuse, to be slow to anger when you've been offended or when you've been wronged. It's a condition that's enabled in large part by the increasing realization of all that you have been personally forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So with regard to patience, you might ask yourself, Am I easily offended or easily angered? Do I have a long fuse or a short one? Do I possess an increasing awareness of my personal sin and of how much God and others and others have forgiven me? Am I able to see that God is working out a larger plan in my life and the lives of others around me as well? The fifth virtue, the fifth segment of the fruit is kindness. Here the word again is crestotes, which means that the spirit-produced disposition of one who is inclined to serve in order to meet real needs in God's way and in his time. With regard to kindness, ask yourself, is my heart growing in its desire and in its capacity to understand and to meet the needs of others, attending to their needs ahead of my own. The sixth virtue is goodness, egathasune, the demonstration in actions, in your personal conduct, that the Spirit of God is transforming your heart, that your fundamental disposition is truly and generously being morphed from selfishness to kindness. As we saw in the two messages on kindness and goodness, kindness is really the disposition that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, and goodness is the demonstration of the outworking of that kindness, the demonstration, the evidence. Goodness is not an abstract concept. In other words, goodness is shown in acts of tangible service. The Apostle Peter said of Jesus that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So with regard to goodness, ask yourself, is the Spirit of God causing my heart to become more kind toward others? Is my conduct giving evidence of that reality through practical acts of service that flow from a heart of kindness? When I engage in acts of service to others, is it just because it's considered the right thing to do? 
because of a desire to be seen by others or because my heart genuinely desires to meet the real needs of those whom I'm serving. The seventh virtue is faithfulness. Pistis, fidelity, trustworthiness, the virtue that enables others to count on you to do what you say you will do, being true to your word. And so with regard to faithfulness, ask yourself these simple questions. Am I a man or woman of my word? Do I keep my promises? Am I faithful in my commitments? Can others count on me to be where I say I'll be and to do what I say I will do? The eighth virtue, of course, is gentleness, prautes. And I described this virtue as the velvet-covered brick. Strength and power, balanced and constrained by reserve and tenderness. So with regard to gentleness, ask yourself, am I excessively tough or excessively tender with people around me? Am I all brick or all velvet? Am I growing in my ability to balance great strength, strength of conviction, strength of character, with great tenderness? Do I come across to others as brash and headstrong, or am I allowing the grace of God to flow through me to others? Finally, the ninth virtue is self-control, incratia, which, as we saw last week, means dominion within, rule within. To be ruled from the inside, it means self-mastery and self-control, self-restraint. It's literally releasing our grip on the fleshly desires of our unredeemed hearts and choosing instead to be controlled from within by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So with regard to self-control, you might ask yourself, am I increasing in my capacity to exercise restraint in the face of the greater areas of temptation and vulnerability of my life? We, We all have particular vulnerabilities. Am I gaining mastery over sinful impulses with regard to my sexuality? Am I ruled by my emotions or do I have them under control? Am I gaining self-control in my thought life, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Am I gaining freedom from addictions? Well, as we come to the end of this, you might say, well, what if I asked all those questions and I I really kind of feel like I failed the exam. And let me encourage you that, that the purpose of utilizing the fruit of the Spirit as a tool to assess your spiritual progress is not to discourage you, but to encourage you to pursue a, a closer walk of dependence upon the power of the Spirit of God and, and to greater obedience to His promptings in your life. See, all of us start in the same place. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God through Christ. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. He began the good work in you, and he will bring it to completion in his time and in his way. He will progressively, relentlessly conform you to the image 
of Christ. Where do those promptings to greater obedience of the Spirit, uh, those promptings of the Spirit to greater obedience come from? Well, they come directly from the Spirit of God living in you, persuading you of what is true and right, convicting you of what is sin for you. They come also from God's Word, the Bible. And, and if you want to grow spiritually, you need to become a student of the Word. Daily Bible reading, meditation and memorization of Scripture, being part of a regular Bible study with others, consistent attendance in church where you'll receive trustworthy teaching, all of those are important because the Word of God is breathed by the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit that produces the fruit of Christ-likeness in us. Those promptings also come from God's people. And each of us then needs to choose to allow the key influencers in our lives to be faithful, maturing Christian men and women. So I encourage you to cultivate Christian friendships and maybe enter into a mentoring relationship, whether it's one-to-one or in a small group. I'd encourage you to get into a life group where you're being influenced by the Spirit of God through the people of God. Well, that's all. I want to thank you for listening today. I want to thank you for being part of this series all the way through. And may we continue to grow in Christ-likeness. And may we encourage each other in that direction. I look forward to seeing you soon. Have a great week.